0: Hello everybody and uh, welcome once again as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. We've been working through the New Testament for more than three years now. We're, uh, we have a couple years left to get through the New Testament and then I always kind of tease you, we'll jump right into the Old Testament then. That takes 15 years, I figure. And, uh, and then, so that's 17 years from now and then we'll start all over again in the New Testament. So are you with me? Um, yeah. <laughs> you have your Wednesdays planned for a while. Um, working through it like this is very helpful, I think, and, and uh, working through the New Testament the way we're doing it helps us to hold things in context. And context is extremely important when you're looking at the Scriptures. And actually, when, if you come back this weekend, I'll be talking about the importance of context in the message this weekend. Because if uh, the, the evil one actually likes to use scripture and twist it just a little, it's one of his favorite tricks. And, and he can't do it if you keep it in context. But anything that comes out of context can get manipulated to mean something that it doesn't. And so we're on purpose, we, we did the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we looked at the book of Acts. And, and then springing out of the book of Acts, we've been looking at Paul's letters. Because they were a, we can see them in the context that he wrote them from studying about his missionary journeys. And, and so we've already covered a lot of heavy topics and a lot of interesting topics. Letters he's writing to a very new church. They don't have really a, an established, a whole lot of established pattern for what they're doing. And they have a lot of questions and a, um, not a whole lot of background. And so they would get questions to Paul and he would answer them by writing these letters back to the churches. This particular letter he's writing to the church in Rome, um, which he didn't start as far as we can tell because uh, he hadn't been yet, but he's heard of it and uh, they've heard of him through people that have gone back and forth. And uh, in the book of Romans is kind of a, a uh, systematic theology of the Christian faith, if you would, uh, that Paul delivers to the church in Rome. It's a great um, book for that reason. It covers a lot of important stuff all in one chapter, all in one uh, letter. Some of it's very difficult to look at. We started last week and we, he, Paul gets right on the, the problem of sin and what it looks like and it's, it's pretty blunt to the point about what happens. But he, he gets to that because if you don't recognize um, how bad sin is, um, you'll, you'll never really understand your need for a savior. And, and so that's part of the process and sin is a terrible thing and, and we need a savior, we need Jesus. And he also, he lists a lot of sins, but when you you look at the list, I said this last week and I I mean it, um, all of us have made the list because we've all sinned. And as we move into Romans chapter 2, he's going to be touching on that a little more and what that looks like because of that um, process that uh, um, we're not to be judgmental and critical and yet, unfortunately, the church has a, a history of becoming just that very self-righteous, very judgmental, and very critical. Um, uh, the established religious communities of the day have that history from Jesus' time and on. And so we have to be vigilant and watching it. And Paul is trying to uh, get this message across as we move into Romans chapter two, because Romans one you know, said that God will judge mankind. He's gonna judge the sins of mankind. That's, that is absolutely gonna happen. But that we as human beings shouldn't be, you know, lightly condemning other human beings for all of us have sinned and therefore we all deserve judgment. And what Romans 2 is really calling for is repentance. Repentance. And that's what we all need to be aware of. See, we, we, we're called to repentance. We're, we're, uh, repentance means that we have a, a change of heart, mind, and attitude and action. We, we're going to turn away from what we were doing and turn towards God. And, and in recognition of sin, then we need to repent and we need to change and move towards God and away from sin. And that's what we're being called to. Unfortunately, we have a habit of once we begin to... Um, Uh, make some changes then we sort of want to point the finger at other people that haven't I I don't know why we do that but it's part of our sin nature and Paul is trying to make sure that we don't move back into that because that is sin as well and then there's something else that's really cool in Romans 2 that we'll talk about it's in the 14th and 15th verse um, that's often misunderstood and, and I'll read those, I'm going to read the whole thing, but I just want to hit, hit those two verses so that when I do read it again, you'll be thinking about it. It says this, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience is also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now uh, now even defending them. That really doesn't need to be explained, does it? Um <laughs> That makes it all perfectly clear, right? This is what Paul's talking about. Um, he's, he's saying, as, as he's writing to um, uh, the Jews that had been following the law, they had received the revealed law, uh, and, um, but he's saying, look, but because you've got the law, it doesn't mean you're the only one with moral standards. The Gentiles too, even though they hadn't been a part of the law um, or gotten it, they had a moral nature. And they had a conscience that identified moral issues and led them to set up their own standards of right and wrong by which to judge themselves and others. And, and here is fascinating because anywhere you go in the world, in society, you will find society has a moral concept. It might not be yours, but they do have a measure of morality and they've set up rights and wrongs and a system to deal with rights and wrongs. And what Paul's saying here is by nature, it's part of them, um, they, they are in that, way, they're doing kind of what the law was sort of shooting for in the first place in that they they weigh, they measure, and they evaluate human behavior by a moral uh, criteria. And they realize that moral failure calls for judgment. And then what's fascinating is they also try to excuse and defend their own failures, which is what we all do. And so, what, what that means is that what, what Paul's saying, look, when, the, when it comes time for the judgment, both Jew and Gentile will be shown to have fallen short of whatever standards they've approved. So um, sometimes people think, and they, they struggle with it, it's, uh, they get with God not revealing his standards to everyone, but what you need to know is that God won't judge people who haven't had judgment those standards revealed to them by those standards, he'll judge them by their own standards they set, but it doesn't make any difference because they haven't lived up to him anyway. Um, that's what you need to get. See, the, the deal is everybody's failed by whatever standards they've lived under. None of us can do it in our own strength. It can't by our own nature be done. We're all sinners. And that's the whole point. It, it's, we've all failed. We've all fallen. We've all missed it. No matter what we set as a benchmark, we didn't live up to it. We, do, you, do you agree with me that you can't live up to your own standards? How in the world do you think you're ever gonna live up to God's standards? You can't live up to your own standards. We want other people to live up to and we can't even do it. We all fall short. That's part of the deal. It's, re- it's, it's dealing with that, it's recognizing that. It. it's admitting that that leads us to our need for a savior who is Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We just can't make it apart from him. There is no help in ourselves. There is no help for us in what we do. So that's just a lead into Romans 2. 29 verses. I'm going to read them to you. You can follow along um, in your Bibles if you want or on the notes that we gave you, however you want to do it. I'm reading out of the NIV. Romans chapter 2 verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sights, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets, thoughts, secrets through Jesus Christ, as my, as my gospel declares. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that people should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if if he is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men but from God. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so... I get there's a lot of stuff going on in Romans, and we'll, uh, we'll tackle some of it here today in Romans 2. First four verses, and I hit a little of this in the intro. The church is unfortunately well known for being critical, judgmental, and hypocritical. This is a really tough reputation for the church. It's very sad to me that the body of Christ has gathered and and earned for ourselves this reputation in the world around us. We should be known as the place that loves well, shows grace, shows mercy, shows forgiveness, teaches the truth, helps people to find the truth and and move ahead, and yet lots of people, when you ask them what they think of the church, the number one probably response, "I, I feel like playing family feud here, and number one, ding, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Would you agree with that? That that's kind of what people think? Most people think about the church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They're very judgmental. They're haters. They hate people. That's the, the newer, younger generation thinks we're a bunch of haters, that we hate everybody. And that's, that's what we have to deal with um, in, in the world. We have to overcome that reputation in order to even begin to speak into people's lives that's why i'm always telling you how important it is that we go the opposite direction that we love people that we encourage people that we go out a way to be kind that we wash their cars and give them a dollar that we do whatever we can because we're having to break down and get uh, an opportunity to allow ourselves to um earn a different reputation that, that's what we're up against that's that's the battle that's that we have to come against you know we have to fight against what's happened to us historically and so we have to be careful as we do it that we're constantly examining ourselves. See that's the whole deal. Um, You're much, if you get honest with your own failures you really don't have time to be judging everybody else's. See, that's the deal. That's, the, that's what Paul is saying here. Look, well, who do you think you are? You've got enough of your own mess. Why in the world are you spending this time pointing fingers at other people for their mess? They got mess, absolutely. But you got your own mess. Now, certainly part of what we're called to as a church is, is um, to proclaim the word of truth. I mean, that's obvious. But it has to be done with grace and mercy to have impact. That's, that's the way it has to be done. It's never done with finger pointing and condemnation. It just doesn't work. And yet that's the, the sort of the reputation that we have. And so Paul's encouraging us to remember that we're sinners too, saved by grace, but we're still sinners. And we always need to be looking closely at our own lives and at our own proclivity to sin rather than being consumed by the sins and actions of others. It's the whole, um, you know, the whole plank and speck thing that Jesus talked about. Paul is just rehashing that, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. It's not in your notes, but I'll read it to you. Do not judge, this is Jesus, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be used measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, then you 'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye and I'm pretty confident what Jesus was saying is you 're going to be busy just trying to get rid of that plank and and most likely you'll never deal with that plank sufficiently to look at somebody's speck, but that's not how we do it. I mean that the reality is and, and maybe i 'm not right, but isn't it a lot easier to tell people how to live than it is to actually live yourself isn't it? Isn't it, it's way way easier to tell people this is what you're supposed to do. Don't do that, do this. And then you don't do what you're supposed to do. That's the whole deal, see? And that's what we have to be aware of. Romans 2, 4 is another fascinating verse because it talks about the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. In his amazing kindness, God holds back judgment for a time and a season to give people an opportunity to repent and to turn from their sin. Now the problem is, sometimes people mistake this kindness of God for license that says, well, it's really not that big a deal. And it, it, sin is sin, it's always a big deal. But the, the, the time delay between your sin and judgment for it is God's mercy and kindness because what he wants you to do is figure out you shouldn't and repent, that you'll catch up to the, the working that's already there in your heart, that you know what you should and shouldn't do and that you start to do the right thing so he's giving us an opportunity to repent and change and to learn to live by doing the next right thing which is the the big part of this whole process and that's what we talk about all the time right that's what that's what this life is for us now we're we're learning hopefully every day to do the next right thing and we learn that by not doing it that's mostly how I learn I don't know about you but I do what I shouldn't do and then I go oh I don't want to do that again and then I'll do it again. And I go, oh, I really don't want to do that again. And I'll do it again. And whatever that process looks like until finally I get ahead of it a little bit by the spirit of God's help. And, and then I go, okay, you know, and then today I want to do better than yesterday. And I, I don't want to be short with people. I don't want to condemn others. I don't want to judge others. I want to love others. I want to, and then when I miss opportunities to love others, I, I pray for a, a re, you know, another shot at it. And then let me do it without that thing on me that's, you know, that any, I don't want it. In my life, I want to love well like Jesus did. Jesus, you know, we we look at him as our model. He fascinates me how he hung out with people that were doing stuff that they shouldn't have been doing. And yeah, he just loved on them. And he loved them so much that they wanted to change. They would actually ask him, okay, what do I need to do now? And he said, oh, I'm glad you asked. I love you so much. Stop doing that. And they go, okay. And in fact, not only will I stop, I'm going to give it all back. All the money I stole, (laughs) I'm giving it back. Plus interest. Yeah, that was wrong. I love you, Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, if you, if you just love people well enough that they would, what, what, what do I need to do? Well, you know, I think I'd stop doing that. Okay, I'm gonna stop. i stop right now. <laughs> but anyway, get the love part in and the rest of it will come. In verses five through 11, um, Paul goes on with what I just said. Life is found in that whole idea of trying to do the next right thing. It's where we find life now and forever. Now, he's not saying because you could misread some of that, that our doing good is what saves us, because it's not. It's not our doing good that what saves us. It's knowing Jesus as the Lord and Savior that saves us. That's what saves us. In response to that, then we try and live by doing the next right thing, and in living by doing the next right thing, we begin to experience real life. Even when we quit living for ourselves and start living for him, everything begins to change, and that's what Paul's trying to say, um, that, that because of... We get the fact how bad sin is and that we deserve judgment and death because of it. And yet God saves us because he's so kind that he made a way for us in Christ. And that once we accept Christ, that our response to all of that is that we want to live in such a way that it pleases him. That's the process. That's when when things begin to change. When you finally realize that it's more important to you to live to please him than it is to please yourself, that's when you yield to the Holy Spirit and things begin to change. Not until then. But at that point, they begin to change. Because we're so grateful. Because we get how ugly sin is and how amazing it is that he made a way for us. And we said, you know, I just want to live for you. Not to earn anything because I can't earn it because he gave it to me, but that's what happened. Then in verses 12 through 15, um, and this is a reiteration of what I started with. So God does not judge people for what they don't know. He judges, they get judged for what they do with what they know. That's huge because that covers all sorts of stuff. They, they don't get judged for what they don't know. It's, they get judged based on the basis of what they do with what they do know. And, and, and so, you know, we're such stubborn people that we want what we want and we know deep down the right thing to do but we often choose not to do it. And so what Paul's point was in that is that it's not enough to know what's right, it's that you have to do it. And when you don't, that's sin and we're all guilty and that's the process. We we're, we're, we're just have all fallen short. You know, the law, the Ten Commandments were put into place really as a sort of guideline for what community would look like with people whose hearts were on God. But uh, it, it ultimately became just a list of things to let you know how badly you need a Savior because no one can live up to it. Just ten. He, just he, a ten, and you can't live up to ten, to, let alone the others that God added. But there's just ten. And then I think we, get, we don't even know, most people don't, you don't even know what the ten are, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and we're not under the law anyway, but you ought to. Let me, let's see if you think we can come up with a ten together. I mean, I mean, I can help you. So the the first one is you have no other gods but God. That's He's first. No other gods. The the second one is about graven images, idols. You don't. You can't put anything up in in God's place. The third one is that you gotta never take His name in vain. That's number three. Number four um, is. The Sabbath one, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's number four. You know of the 10 though, that one doesn't get mentioned in the New Testament. Not that we don't, it's not important, but fascinating. Number five, do you know what number five is? Honor your mother and father. Honor your parents. That's, that doesn't get taught much anymore. Um, I'm fortunate, my kids do. Hi, honey. But, um, <laughs> um, uh, but that's number five. Uh, number six, thou shalt not murder. Number 7, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number 8, thou shalt not steal. Number 9, thou don't lie, and number 10 is don't covet. That's the 10. Most of most of, like I said, we don't even we don't even know the 10 because it doesn't matter because if it was two, we couldn't keep those. If it was one, we'd still fail. Just one, it's just one. Here's the one commandment. Ah, oh, too bad. <laughs> we need a savior. Now, those are great ideals, and that's how it, Community will be established with God. That's how we'll live. But because we're sinners, we can't live that way yet. We shoot, we shoot at it. It's a great sh- something to shoot at. And then Jesus toughened it up. Remember, Jesus came along and said, Yeah, well, it's not that you don't do those things. I don't even want you thinking about doing those things. <laughs> this is a whole nother level, isn't it? Don't murder. Okay, well, you're doing that. But even if you think bad things about people, that's just as bad as breaking that one. Oh, man. You need a savior that's what he was saying you need a savior and that's what we need to remember 17 through 20 romans 2 Um, he uh, keeps on going with a point that we're all guilty before god of sin we've all gone our own way Uh, verse 21 through 27 it's another big discussion what i touched on earlier the established religious community become hypocrites they were holding out this standard that they weren't living up to and everybody got it that they weren't living up to it and he then, What he really talks about is the need for integrity in our lives. We need to be a people of integrity. Integrity just means that what you say and how you live match at some level. That you're, you're at least shooting at it. Not that you say one thing and live another. We've talked a lot about integri- integrity. And then the last four verses, um, being a child of the king, being a child of God, isn't about the externals. Um, it's about having our hearts right with God. And trying to live to please and honor him. And that's pretty much Romans 2. Uh, in the quick format. And we could obviously go on and on and on, but we won't because we're going to end it there for time's sake. If you're watching on television or by video, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We appreciate you doing that. We know how valuable your time is. We hope you'll tune in again and and, uh, see where we're headed next. But we're going to close this evening in prayer here. And uh, go ahead and go to our website if there's anything that we can pray for you and let us know.